Hi everyone, it's Jonathan. We're not going to do the snappy intro music this episode, it doesn't seem right considering the topic. Some of you might have seen an article in your social media feed recently called Tabletop Gaming Has a White Male Terrorism Problem. It was posted on a blog called Latining, that's L-A-T-I-N-I-N-G, and it has made a lot of people very angry, including me. In this post, the author describes in detail some of her experiences with sexism, racism, threats, abuse, and assault by white males who would call themselves members of the tabletop gaming community, as well as the indifference of security and law enforcement when she reported these things as everyone says you're supposed to do. I've contacted the author, and she has kindly granted permission for us to read from the piece here on the show. At first, I was so mad, I just wanted to read the whole thing verbatim and make that the episode, but... A more level-headed friend of mine reminded me that anyone can find this thing on the internet and read it for themselves. He suggested it might be better to just read a small excerpt or two and discuss it with my co-hosts, and that's what we're going to do. I'm joined by Coco Lee, Amanda McKnight, and Scott Moyle. Thank you all very much for this. Hi there. Hello. Thank you. Here are a couple of excerpts. Amanda's going to read them. Trigger warning, sexual assault. I'm 13 years old and in a game store for the first time. I examine their selection of dice and take them to the counter to pay. How old are you? asks the balding middle-aged man behind the counter. Thirteen. Old enough to bleed, old enough to breed, he chuckles in glee. The Warhammer 40k gamers at the table behind him take up the refrain. Old enough to bleed, old enough to breed, old enough to bleed, old enough to breed. I run. I am at KeyCon waiting for a friend to finish her shadow run game. One of my male friends hands me a Pepsi. I take it and thank him. I wake up in a hotel bed I don't remember. A man's hand is inside me, jabbing and painful. I try to scream, but nothing comes out. I try to move, but I cannot. After what feels like a lifetime, I stagger away, ripping his hand out of my jeans. The convention whirls around me like a nightmare kaleidoscope as I beg for help. Eventually, someone takes me aside. This is a safe convention. We have a reputation to protect. If you go to the police, we'll say you were never here. I nod numbly. I think I am crying, but no tears fall. I stumble into a bathroom in the lobby coffee shop and sob until I can't breathe. When I am calm, I call the police and report the attack. You sound drunk. Were you drinking? I am not filing a report for some drunken slut. The officer hangs up. I have no more tears. That's from Tabletop Gaming Has a White Male Terrorism Problem on the blog Latining. There's a lot more. It's not easy to read, but you should read it anyway. The link is in the show notes. Go ahead, pause the podcast, talk about it when you get back. Okay, I'm sure there are a lot of people in our audience who would be a lot happier if they could believe this was an isolated incident in a particular city or a bad community centered around a particular specific game or type of game. I'd be happier believing this sort of thing doesn't happen in Toronto. Um, Amanda, Coco, you've both been living here and playing games and working at Snakes and Lattes for years. Based on your experiences and those of your, sp- and those of your friends, um, how widespread would you say this is? Um, I don't want to say that it's like really widespread, but unfortunately, uh, most of the women that I know that are a part of this community experience things that maybe aren't as intense as what this woman experienced, but are similar and some of those things are just as intense. I would say that every woman I speak to has an experience that falls somewhere along the lines of what she's describing. 
from either experiencing like uh, law enforcement's indifference when it comes to issues like this or having experienced like having been the subject of that kind of chanting and those kind of comments. Not isolated. Well, my impression is that certain kinds of spaces seem to be less safe than others. The ones that seem to be the highest risk when it comes to uh, the game community are conventions and dedicated hobby game stores. Would you, would you think that's fair to say? I would say both yes and no. Um, as someone who's been to lots of hobby game stores and as someone who has uh, been to a couple conventions. I haven't been to a lot of conventions, but at the conventions, I don't remember experiencing anything. However, I also wasn't dressed in cosplay. And I know a lot of cosplayers that are my friends have experienced a lot of really terrible things dealing with people. Um, and a lot of really awesome things, but also a lot of really terrible things. And at some hobby stores, I've felt uncomfortable, but only in the sense of, I feel like a lot of the times when I ask someone something, I have to fight to prove that I belong in a part of the community. Um, other than that, I would say that actually a lot of the times when I've been gaming with people that are my friends, I experience most of the comments and most of the things. And I sometimes I either have to take them aside, but mostly I just kind of unfortunately put my eyes down and keep playing, which is probably not what I should do. But it's hard to tell people like what you're doing isn't really okay, especially when they're your good friends. It's kind of wacky that the concept of what you think you should and shouldn't be doing comes into it when you've already been, like, the object of a, an abusive comment. Like, whether or not you should or shouldn't derail the game to to tell someone that what they did was out of line. Like, it's unfortunate that that's the situation that we're dealing with, as you know? Well, because then you feel like if you say something, basically, and I mean, it's talked about in the article, but if you say something, mm -hmm. you're you're being too emotional or you're derailing the game yeah. or we came here to play like this isn't about that. And it's like, well, if it's not about that, then this shouldn't even be something that we experience in these places. We should feel safe. And I actually find the times that I feel the most threatened is when I'm not out in public is when I'm actually in a basement hanging out with my male friends playing a game, which sucks. Totally. Scott, um, one of the things that tends to come up a lot in discussions about this is difficulty in believing that this can be as widespread as it is. I think that uh, in the case of a lot of men like us, fans of the game community, people who love this, uh, this, this hobby, we tend to have a difficult time seeing sometimes what's right in front of our eyes. Why is that? I think it has a lot to do with how young a lot of guys are are sort of brought into gaming as a hobby and as a community and as as a life. I I first started painting little plastic mans when I was 13 or 12, I think, 20 20 or more years ago. And uh I, so I think when you're brought into it before you necessarily start thinking about social narratives. Um it's it's really easy to grow up in a community of people who uh, of men who aren't necessarily thinking about it, so they're not prompting you to think about it, and it winds up being this sort of echo chamber of, oh, don't worry about it, it's a boys' club. And that's that produces some really messed up, toxic grown-ups. And uh, you mentioned social narratives, that it also tends to lend itself to a different narrative, which I'd like to come to a little bit later in the episode, so mm -hmm. one that leads a lot of these boys and men to actually feel entitled to be terrible to people. But uh, we'll come back to that in a bit. 
I guess the other thing worth getting into is the way the way things like gender and race, for that matter, are portrayed in a lot of nerd content. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have twenty years worth of D and D players' handbooks, and pretty hmm. consistently, apart from humans who can in fact be kind of diverse in uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, as as depicted in the sort of official artwork. Um, if you're a white elf, you're a good elf. And if you're a black elf, you are not a good elf. <laughs> uh, same deal with dwarves. Orcs are basically black people, uh, in a terrible, in a terrible, you know, uh, de- sort of colonial depiction. I tend to see, uh, depictions of orcs as being more like, uh, uh terrible depictions of aboriginals. Yeah. And yeah. The, that's... The, sometimes they do the noble savage thing. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they just do the rampaging. Uh, and that's I'm, like, oh, that's how orcs are. And it kind of lends itself to the stereotype about other races, which is not really okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also has to do, too, with, uh, like you were saying, Scott, like, like it is the artwork. And it, even when you look at a lot of comic books and you look at a lot of how women are portrayed. And, I mean, part of it is these people, people are growing up with these images of, oh, that's what a woman is. And when you see a woman who's doing, you know, a boobs and butt pose <laughs> in a comic book, it, it doesn't surprise me that then when somebody sees me at a table, that's all they really think about. Yeah. I, uh, it comes down to even things like depictions of armor. I think I was probably right. in my 20s before I yeah. saw functional armor depicted on a woman in a fantasy setting. Yeah. Uh, I know one female jouster, like a for real professional jouster, whose uh, parade armor has breasts because there's demand for it from producers who hire her jousting team when her functional armor can't because armor with, with anatomical breasts will kill you. Yes. Uh, oh, just my sternum. It. I wasn't needing that. Yeah, it's, it funnels lances in towards you. That's a terrible plan. Um <laughs> But she has to own it because there's demand for that depiction of women in in any kind of period setting, whatever that is. And I don't I don't want to criminalize certain sexual interests. And I, I don't want to say that you can never have someone who's a comic book character or a fantasy depiction of someone who is like sexy. And maybe you're even like looking at that for sexual purposes. But the question is the like the proliferation of the sexual imagery that doesn't come with the alternate image of like functional or like reasonable depictions of of women and i'm willing to believe that in some cases these characters and people uh who choose to dress in sexually revealing ways are doing it because they enjoy it totally and uh that's 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 awesome that's hot i love it Hmm. um when it becomes the expected norm though that i think Mm -hmm. that kind of distorts ideas about what's expected in the culture and this is something else that's really important too so often uh, you'll hear comments the effect of oh it's just a joke can't you Deal with or, oh, we have a very lighthearted sort of take, take on things here. Or, oh, they didn't mean it. Um, it's, 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 I find that in my, in my case in particular, because I'm kind of terrified of conflict, uh, actually coming out and explaining on the spot why it is that having made that comment, having said that, you are actually causing damage. You are creating an environment that makes it more likely that worse things are going to happen. And I, I can never seem to figure out a good way of expressing that in a way that's going to make sense. And have people say, oh, okay. I love doing that. It can you give is me some hints? so fun. I just, so for me, the question is helping people understand why it is that their comment is hurtful. Right. Because when I make a, not when I make, because I don't, but sure. if I were to make a rape joke or a race joke or a like stupid woman joke, it's like, 
the feeling is that, oh, I don't really feel that way. I'm not really a sexist person. So my joke can't be possibly sexist because I am not sexist. But when you frame it as helping someone understand it from the other side of the issue. So let's say hypothetically, you made a joke that was like problematic for women. And I say to you, I'm a woman and I come from a place where in my everyday, I'm constantly assessing the risks of like, if I'm going to be put in like sexual or physical danger. So when I'm assessing that risk, the things that people say to me help me assess that risk. And people who make sexist jokes or people who comment on like women or raping women or whatever, that to me tells me that that person is not a safe person. So like whether or not it was like punny or appropriate to the character or whatever you think it was, I usually just help explain to people that in the context of the social situation that we're in, as soon as you say that joke, you're telling me that you're not a safe person for me. And you can say that like, oh, you're being so so dramatic and like, you know me, you know, I would never like blah, blah, blah. But you don't know the life stories of everybody that you're speaking to. And especially in the cases of so many women. And like, I don't want to erase the experience of men, but in the cases of many individuals who have experienced sexual violence, that's not something that they wear on their shirts. So it's highly probable that wherever you are, whoever you're with, someone has experienced sexual or physical violence. And when you make a joke like that, you're reminding them of the terrible thing that happened to them. And you're telling them that you are possibly the kind of person who would replicate that situation. It's an unfortunate thing, too, because I find even times when I've tried to bring attention to things like that, it's either brought with, a, well, like, what do you have to back this up? Or it's just dismissed as a, well, you kind of deserved it. That and, happens a lot. And so if you feel like you have to win the conversation by either <laughs> proving that you were abused yeah. or proving that you were wearing your like dirty t-shirt when you, when it had, like, it's like you have to win it by having these sort of mitigating circumstances that can justify it, you know? Yeah. And there are many times that I've been told that like comments that I've gotten, um, around friends. And this is the thing that really kills me. It's like, it's mostly friends that say those things. And I'm like, well, I would like, maybe you don't say that. That I don't know about. And I try to kind of like turn it into a lighthearted thing because, you know, you don't want that conflict. And I also think like, it shouldn't be necessary for me to like snap at my friend and say, how dare you? I shouldn't have to say it that way. So whenever I try to turn it into a, well, you know, I, I don't really think that's like an appropriate thing to say or, um, oh, haha, but also don't do that <laughs> or something like that. People will go like, well, you like, I mean, look at how you're dressed though. And I'm like, wait, what? I did. <laughs> I look great. That's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I say. And then we kind of leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But it's the thing of people shouldn't have to defend the way they want to dress or what they want to do in their lives or this idea of, well, you're the one that decided to come here and hang out with us. So you kind of have to deal with it. I'm like, well, actually I don't because I could just not come. Mm -hmm. And then you guys could have fun being a bunch of men in a room together. And I won't be here to game with you if that's what you want. Speaking from personal experience, I always have, or almost always have a much better time when a diverse group. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that, and I think that we all, the more, the more people that we have that are different and that come at things with a different perspective, the more interesting your time gaming with those people is going to be. Because in my opinion, having everyone that has a different outlook on a game, a different um, tactic when they're playing a game makes for the most diverse and interesting. The whole hobby games. gets better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and if you're going to tell me that like the women that you've played with are worse at these games than you and that's why you don't want them around then you are wrong and i don't want to play with you anyway so like yeah <laughs>
That's about all the time we have for this week, I think, but we are not done with this. We are going to come back to this next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the roots of this pain within the nerd community that I think uh, often leads to these, this, this, this kind of behavior and, and, and defense of this kind of behavior, a desire to protect your own and to protect what you think of as the only thing you have. Um, there's, there's going to be plenty more as well. So thank you all for bearing with us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And uh, Coco, Amanda, Scott, thank you for talking about this with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The Snakes Cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. The opinions expressed belong to the people on the show and not the company behind it. Till next week. Thank you for listening.